The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Ham Radio 360 Podcast. This week, we're talking about ADSB, tracking airplanes from your SDR, and more coming up. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast. Brought to you by Elecraft. Now, here's your host, Kel Nelson, K4CDN. So welcome in to another episode of Ham Radio 360 Podcast. It's your bi-weekly conversational topical program about something in the amateur radio hobby. Now, of course, next week and the every other week from this show, we have the workbench with George and Jeremy. Those guys do a great job. Deep technical stuff. If you're into that end of the hobby, myself personally, not really that guy, but that's okay because this hobby is so big. There's so many things to participate in and to enjoy. You don't have to be a real deep, techie, geeky guy. You can be a appliance operator like myself who wants to take it out of the box, press the power button, and operate. So it's kind of... It's kind of everything in between those two aspects and maybe even more and less on the others as well. So ham radio is a huge hobby. We've been learning that over the course of about three years as we've been progressing through this podcast. This is episode number 80 of the podcast formerly known as Photime, the other ham radio podcast. We we rebranded at episode 50. If you haven't gone back that far in our back library, let me invite you to because there's a huge catalog of episodes back there that you may find some interest in. So you can find those on your podcast player, as well as our website, hamradio360.com. Now, my name is Kale. I've been doing this for about three and a half, uh, well, three years, I guess. I actually did find out the other day I was licensed in July of 2011, so I've kind of been scratching my head. I couldn't remember what year it was, but it was just a few days after my eldest son's birthday in 2011, so I'll be able to remember that from now on. So I've been doing this a while. I was in FM radio for almost a decade and got out of that and really missed being behind a microphone, I guess you should say. And podcasting kind of gave me that um, that escape, you know, and I got to start it and didn't realize that it would become what it has. So thank you for coming by. It's a great time. We have them every other week here on the 360 Show. It's a lot of fun as we continue to learn about the hobby. Now, one thing that you may need to know if you're brand new, we do have some show sponsors, and we'll talk about those throughout the program. One of those is Main Trading Company down in Paris, Texas. It's a small mom-and-pop business. I mean, it's, it's not like 50 stores around the nation. They've got one store in Paris, Texas. Got a got a store full of great employees, by the way. And what happened was I needed a sponsor, if you will, for my podcast. I also needed someone to do the intro and outro voice for me because I didn't want it to be me as well. And it just so happens that Christine from Main Trading Company is a voice actor. She's been in radio forever, and she does just a phenomenal job. That's the voice you hear. You can also get that voice when you call Main Trading Company to place your order. So here's the deal. I called them, and I said, I'm going to start a podcast. I need a voice. Let's swap a sponsorship for a voice. It works out. Here they are with us almost three and a half years later. They're still our sponsor, and they're still my favorite. The place I call before anybody else when I need something for ham radio, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Main Trading Company. They're a Kenwood dealer. They carry the entire brand. And I tell you, those THD 74 handy talkies, no matter what you think, they are incredibly popular. So popular that it seems that every time they go to a ham fest, they sell out. So if you're looking for something, maybe like the THD 74, that's the tri-band handy talkie that does AP 
CPRS. It does D-Start, has the built-in TNC. It's just an amazingly beautiful, small, compact handheld. If you're looking for something like that or anything from Kenwood, call them. Go ahead, call them. Don't forget, say, oh, I was going to call them, but I forgot and I bought it from somewhere else. Call them first. Tell them you heard about them here on Ham Radio 360, the podcast, and let them give you the best deal that you can find anywhere in the nation. All right, it's mtcradio.com. So on this episode of Ham Radio 360, we're going to be learning about something that I've done before, but I'm still not completely satisfied that I know how to do it if I had to do it today, and that is ADSB. Now, we're going to talk to someone uh, whose Twitter handle is Exploding Lemur, which you know it's going to be an exciting show when we have someone with that sort of personality. All right, so help me welcome Nick Karchukas. His call is Kilo Kilo 6 Lima Hotel Romeo, and I hope I said it right that time. Yep, you got it right. Fantastic. Nick, welcome to the program. Thank you for agreeing to come on. I know that we've been playing ping pong with this for a while, and I apologize for that. But, man, it's it's really exciting to have you on. I know that um, that it was it was requested by some, some friends of ours on Twitter that we get you on the program to talk about ADSB. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been... Uh playing around with this stuff and having fun with it and happy to, to chat you guys up about it. Excellent. Excellent. Tell us real quick, Nick, about, uh, being an amateur radio. I started with a KK four call. You have a KK six call. Uh, that's a pretty recent call, you know, in the last decade or so tell us how and why you got an amateur radio. So I actually got my license as KF six UZB, uh, back in 99. Mm. Um, I had actually been interested in ham radio long before that. Um, when I was about, I don't know, 12 or 13, I went and took a uh, ham class. Never ended up taking the test, though, because I couldn't really figure out where to go. And, you know, being just about 12 or 13, couldn't really drive anywhere. <laughs> um, then uh, fast forward, go off to college, find the Cal Poly Amateur Radio Club, W6BHZ, um, which folks may... Uh, recognize the call from uh, uh, Kenneth and uh, Mark. So I uh, got licensed uh, through a class that the club gave. Recently upgraded to general and then extra and decided to check the box for a new call sign, not realizing that the 1x3s and the 2x2s were not being automatically distributed anymore. So got a new 2x3. (laughs) You know, uh, it was at the... uh... How do I say this? I had a friend of mine locally. He's a local ham, Jeff. He was a a technician. He went to take his general, and I said, "Hey, man, go ahead and check that box, and maybe you'll get you know uh, another call that's a little a little smaller." And uh, he, he came back with another two by three as well. So don't feel bad. I, I feel terrible for for getting Jeff in in that position, but um, he's still having fun and on the radio. And, and congratulations on going all the way to the top. How does it feel to be a no code extra? I can give tests now for extras. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Are, are you a VE, by the way? Yes. Excellent. Well, I just signed up and, and got all my stuff through, so now I can test technicians. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to uh, eventually test for extra. You know, this this podcast thing keeps getting in the That's my excuse, but uh, it's a good excuse. Now, we're not here to talk any more about Kale. And thank you for giving us some past history on you. You know, you're just like the rest of us. You wanted to do it as a kid, and here you are as an adult playing and having a good time. 
And yep. one of the things that uh, that Mark and Kenneth both knew that you were very into, and, and they encouraged us to bring you in here, is ADSB. Can you tell me what is ADSB? Yep. So ADSB is a little bit like uh, APRS for aircraft um, in that it, it's an automated beaconing system for position data. So to give a little bit of a high-level history of aircraft and air traffic control, Air traffic control systems use a couple of radar systems. There's primary radar, which is just spinning dish that sends out pings and tells you, okay, this is a, a response that's this far away and is on this bearing. That doesn't give you enough information really to tell you what you're seeing in the air. So derived from early military IFF systems is uh, secondary radar which is it sends out a pulse, aircraft receives it, and then it has a transponder that sends some information back out. However, this requires you to have something that's sending out these uh, interrogations, basically. You know, some airspace, you don't always have a a secondary radar system, or you have a lot of aircraft in the area, and so some of the stuff gets kind of munged in the air. So what ADSB does is it makes the beaconing system completely independent of any ground stations. So you don't need any of the interrogations and the aircraft just send out uh, on regular intervals, uh, pretty frequently, actually um, uh, they have a unique uh, hex ID, a, um, a uh, squawk ID, a call sign and things like altitude, uh, speed and direction. And this allows uh, other aircraft in the area to also know what's going on around them, uh, as well as the uh, air traffic control systems to get a really good view of what's happening in their airspace. So, so this is whereas when we we're when we were growing up as kids, right? We were watching uh, Mash or something. Well, you know, one of the old Army shows, and they would show the or the Navy shows where they'd show the radar spinning, and then you would see the the different items coming into the screen and whatnot. Um, this is a little different than that because instead of just receiving, this, they're talking back and forth all the time. Is that a, a good way to say it? The, the the station and the airplane are talking back and forth? Yep. Um, mostly the airplane is just uh, transmitting beacons. Um, there is uh, a way for aircraft to receive messages from ground stations. Primarily what it is, though, is just aircraft receiving data from other aircraft. Right. And occasionally things like... Uh, uh, traffic or weather information sent up from ground stations. I got you. Is this uh, is this a step in the right direction? You know, because sometimes we just do things as a society just to do them because maybe someone's going to get rich or somebody's company is going to make money. Is this like an evolutionary step in tracking airplanes? Uh, is this the right direction, in your opinion, to be going? Uh, I think it is a, a good step. Um, in addition to the just the, uh, the benefits you get of uh, this particular system gives you more resolution in terms of altitude, position, and so forth. Um, it also really gives the pilots in the cockpit a better view of what's happening in the airspace around them. So it's really good for situational awareness and uh, uh, collision avoidance. Well, I was just curious because, you know, like I said, sometimes necessarily things that we do may not be the best thing, but you one would think that as much information as you could have when you're flying the friendly skies, the better off you're going to be. And apparently with the ADSB in and ADSB out, this, this, like you said, gives you a lot more heads up information. Yep. 
there was a, a neat video I saw on YouTube where somebody had an ADSB in uh, system, ADSB in being the uh, uh, aircraft capable of receiving from other aircraft, out is the uh, just the beacon component. Uh, anyway, this aircraft was equipped with ADSB in, and every once in a while you hear this voice say, "Traffic one mile above." Or something like that, and it was calling out aircraft that were uh, approaching this pilot's uh, position. Wow, that's a whole lot different than the old ranch you have used to have in there, just kind of point you where you were going and, and having to, to lean real heavily on the uh, the guy in the tower. Yep, excellent. Now, since you since we mentioned in and out, uh, give us a little idea of, of what those terms mean in <laughs> regards to ADSB. Okay, so uh, ADSB out is the just the beacon transmitter on an aircraft. Like I said, it has the um, unique ID, a squawk code. Uh, squawk is like a little four-digit uh, numeric value that a an aircraft will be assigned by um, traffic control. A uh, call sign, which is usually either an aircraft's uh, N number, their registration, or uh, if it's a commercial flight, it'll be like airline and flight ID. So SWA one two three four, um, and their speed and position. Uh, ADSB in is the receiver on the aircraft, and that will listen for other aircraft's transmissions. You can also get some data from ground stations. Uh, I believe there is a provision for ground stations to kind of crossband repeat uh, position beacons from uh, other frequency ADSB systems and. I'll, I'll get into that detail in, in a few minutes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and then also one of the systems also can receive uh, weather information, um, which is pretty handy, especially for general aviation. Now, what's kind of funny to me, and you've heard Kenneth, maybe you've heard Kenneth and I talk about eight, about APRS and how just enamored I am by this technology, although it's, you know, near 30-plus years old. Um, this sounds a lot like, like you said initially, APRS for airplanes. I mean, this is, it, is it at its core packet radio for airplanes? Um, sort of. Okay. Uh, the, the data transmissions are data packet based. Um, obviously it's a totally different modulation than AFSK. Yeah. But you don't, you don't really have the, the digipeating systems that you have with, uh, with APRS or uh, other amateur packet systems. Okay. So it's just kind of a uh, mostly just line of sight. And since these are operating around right about one gigahertz, it's a, uh, it's pretty line of sight. Yeah. And another thing that, you know, <laughs> that you can't really compare it to uh, APRS potentially is uh, the fact that they're miles up in the sky, some of them. So that really would expand their, uh, their reach, I guess you would say, especially for ground stations here in them. Is that, a, is that a good assumption? Yep. So um, I have an antenna up um, on a 30-foot tower in my backyard. Fortunate to have that. But uh, I can receive aircraft as far as about 260 miles away. Wow. So when they're up at altitude at you know 32,000 feet, that's pretty visible. That changes the horizon, as they might say. Yep. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Is this something that, is this ADSB? is it required? Do all airplanes have to have it? Do they have to put it on drones nowadays? I mean, is it going there? Uh, I'm just curious what the requirements are for installations. 
I don't know where things are going for drones. Um, I do know for uh, other manned aircraft that uh, uh, the FAA is requiring uh, ADSB systems as of January 1st, 2020. So by that time, any aircraft operating in a controlled airspace, um, which is the vast majority of the airspace in the U.S., uh, has to have some sort of ADSB out system equipped. Now, is is this something that uh, the pilots or private owners are just going to be, you know, mad about doing, or is this a five hundred dollar mod they put in their plane and they're good to go? You may not know that question. If you don't, it's okay. I just thought I'd ask. Um, I don't know. I think some existing uh, secondary radar beacons can be modified. Mm to, to uh, operate as ADSB beacons. So something with uh, backing up a little bit to the uh, secondary radar, what are called uh, mode A and mode C beacons, or I'm sorry, transponders, uh, operate in the same frequency as ADSB. And then there's an enhancement on the, those uh, transponders called mode S transponders that actually uses the same packet and modulation format as ADSB that operates in that same band. And those mode S transponders are the ones that are pretty easily converted over to an ADSB. Now that's uh, convenient. Beacon. Yeah, that's convenient. <laughs> yep. Somebody at least was thinking a little far forward on that, I guess. I know that uh, we're talking about uh, ADSB here. I know that there are particular frequencies. We're going to talk about those in just a minute. Uh, we've got Nick here on with us. His call is Kilo Kilo Six Lima Hotel Romeo. And uh, thanks to Kenneth and Mark for putting us together. We're learning about ADSB. Something like I said, I've tried before, put the pie somewhere. I'm re- I couldn't do it again today if, if Gerald wasn't here. So uh, we're going to continue to learn about this thing and talk about the frequencies here in just a second on Ham Radio 360. Airspy.us, a new sponsor here on the program, wants you to know that they have the Spyverter R2 version in stock. They just released it back at Hamvention. Now, this will give you greater performance over their original Spyverter, as well as turn your regular SDR into an HF receiver. From 1 kilohertz to 60 megahertz, in addition to whatever your SDR is doing now, you got to check them out, man. Airspy.us. Airspy.us. Let Joe know that you heard about them here on hamradio360.com. Great stuff. I've got the mini. I've been using it for ADSB. Isn't that cool? We're talking about it right now. So check them out. Airspy.us. So as we were going to break just a moment ago here with Nick, KK6, Lima Hotel Romeo, we were talking about operating frequencies and how some of the older gear may work uh, in the same band as the new gear for this ADSB tracking for airplane systems uh but nick what are the frequencies that are that they really operate on what is it you said it was uh like uhf but where are we at there yep so uh it's up kind of in the in the edge of microwave um right around one gigahertz so there are two frequencies in the u.s okay there's uh 1090 megahertz or 1.09 gigahertz um that is uh called uh, ADSB 1090ES. Uh, ES means extended squitter. Uh, exqui- uh, squitter is a term for basically a transponder. Okay. 1090ES um, is approved by the FAA for use in aircraft above 18,000 feet, or in pilot terminology, flight level 180. Uh, and that's as far as I know in pilot <laughs> terminology. Um and that is also uh, in use 
uh, outside the U.S. That's basically the the worldwide international frequency for uh, aircraft transponders, and now shifting to ADSB. Okay. Also in use within the U.S. is 978 megahertz. It's the universal access transceiver. And this is kind of geared a little bit more towards general aviation use. A couple of reasons that it, it's split up into two, I think, is that there's actually a, quite a bit of general aviation air traffic in the U.S. If you look at the number of general aviation fields versus the number of like scheduled commercial flight fields, yeah. there are nearly 10 times as many. Yeah. And so having that many craft in the air, especially as you're getting into a, a more traffic-dense area, you're going to have stuff stepping on each other. Mm. So it makes sense to separate those out into two different things. Uh, what's also nifty on 978 megahertz to kind of sweeten the deal for general aviation users is there is a uh, what's called FISB, Flight Information Service, mumble, mumble, B. <laughs> um, and that includes uh, weather data, which right now, is something that pilots typically have to pay for through like a, a serious XM downlink or some other weather service. Uh, and also it includes um, temporary flight restriction information, uh, NOTAMs, which are uh, notice to airmen. Um, so information about like landing strip closures or construction, things like that, which is really valuable information to the pilot um, in the cockpit. And when you have that stuff being transmitted to you for free, you're pretty likely to want to invest in a system that gives you that information. Yeah. So we, we stuff is good. Yeah. When, when I think of ADSB and this is, this just shows my ignorance. I didn't even know about nine seventy eight, but I always hear 1090, 1090, 1090. Um, would I be wrong to say if you're listening to 1090, that's where you hear a lot of stuff, but are we missing anything by not monitoring nine seventy eight? Yep. So you are not necessarily going to see a lot of, the general aviation stuff going on in your area. So mm -hmm. I, I have a little GA airstrip just south of my house. They fly out of there for um, skydiving. Okay. And, you know, I'll hear, I'll hear a plane buzzing around, and I'll go look on my map. And, hey, look, there's a plane on my map right mm -hmm. near my house. It's pretty cool. Um, but those are transmitting on the 978 UAT system. And so if I was only monitoring 1090 megahertz, I would not be seeing that other traffic. And... It, in my opinion, that's where kind of some of the more interesting stuff is because that's the, you know, the little plane flying around that I can see two, three, four thousand feet up versus, right. oh look, there's an airliner at thirty thousand feet there it in goes. the <laughs> traffic lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, I didn't realize that because I don't have a lot of air traffic around. I actually get more military traffic than I see of anything down here, but mm -hmm. um, it, I didn't realize that. Now. I'm, I'm going to kind of get away from here, and I'm going, I'll be back in a minute, guys. But uh, I'm curious. So, if I take like the SDR dongle, and I'm using, we'll get uh, this is kind of a pre-question to a question I'm supposed to ask later. But I can use the same equipment to listen to 978 than I can to 1090. Uh, yep, you'll just need two of them. Okay. Why would you want to listen to ADSB? Like you said, if you're geeky and are interested in aviation, you get to see all the aircraft around you. If you want to get into more seeing of the uh, seeing what aircraft are flying around, kind of on a on a national or international level, um, a lot of these companies like uh, FlightAware and 
plane finder and so forth that do these uh, flight tracking services and show live flight maps, mm -hmm. they have software available where you grab their software, install it on your uh, device, like a Raspberry Pi or computer or whatever. You feed them information from your receiver and they get basically a free ground station. And then they'll usually give you a, a premium access to their sites. You can get the, you know, whatever uh, premium features they have tracking of, or alerts on flights, things like that. Just kind of neat. Now is here's me, here's me being me. Is that like a crutch that this service is kind of leaning on? Or is it just like a perk to have extra ground stations reporting into? That's a good question. I think they are fairly dependent on the flight tracking community and all the people with these stations uh, sending them data. Mm -hmm. um, they do try to make it easy with uh, like Raspberry Pi images that will be specific for their service. Or there are ways to just install their software and have it. I'm, I'm feeding to several different sites. Um, so I feed to, I think, uh, four different trackers. This guy really likes this stuff. That's why he's on the show, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just because it was it was easy to set up, and hey, why not? I'm I'm fun. I'm fine with sharing data. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know how much actual independent monitoring infrastructure these uh, these services have. Okay, and when you say they're selling their services, are they selling them to the private pilot? Are they selling them to the airlines? Uh, just the aviation, you know, industry in general. Uncle Sam, who's who's buying from them? I think generally just enthusiasts. Also, uh, something interesting with most of these tracking sites is if you pay them a lot of money, they will not show your aircraft on the site. Uh, um, and we know who ha we know who has the most money, right? People Our, who don't want their aircraft yeah. on the site. So, do do we see Uncle Sam's airplanes, or does he oh, yeah. pay them enough um, to stay off? No, the. Uh, the U.S. government uh, aircraft, um, either through you know military or uh, civil federal agencies, um, those show up. Okay. Uh, the hidden ones are typically people with uh, either companies or individuals with deep pockets and private aircraft that don't want their stuff being tracked. One example would be, say, a corporate jet. Suddenly you see it show up in an airfield near... Uh, the headquarters of a company that is one of their competitors, mm. maybe they're looking at an acquisition. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, there was also um, at the, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was a, a political or a financial summit, some people set up uh, ADSB receivers and were monitoring the private aircraft that were coming and landing uh, at that at that location and spotting some very interesting things. I'll, I'll see if I can find that story. We can add it to the show notes. Yeah, that'd be cool. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think we'll see Han Solo on the, uh, on the ADSB tracker, our friend Harrison Ford, or do you think he turns his off when he's maybe or maybe not taken off or landed on the field? You know, I don't field? know. That'd be interesting. I, I wonder if, uh, if his, if his aircraft is registered and under like a, uh, an LLC or some shell company, yeah. or if he actually has his on it, it'd be interesting. That would be cool to find out. You never know what, what, uh, what Ohan's up to. So, yep. <laughs> which gets us to our next question. We may need to hold to the, to the next segment, but before we get there, uh, we're, we're going to talk about gear and what, what does it take? You know, everybody's favorite segment is what can I buy now 
to put on the shelf because Kel's talked me into it. Hey, it's not my fault. A buddy of mine named Greg got to meet him finally at Hamvention uh, just a few weeks ago. And Greg's really big in to uh, ADSB. Of course, he works inside the aeronautical industry, which is cool. Can he, can I, can you, without a, a two-lane road basically coming into our PC or our, our pie, you said we can't follow 1090 and 978. We only get one or the other. Is that correct? Uh, if you have two receivers, you can follow them both. Okay. Okay. Which makes sense because they're on different frequencies. Yep. Yeah, I'm really not that stupid, guys. I just had to ask that question to make sure. I promise. <laughs> so we're going to talk about gear, but before we get there, I want to go take this break, and then we'll come right back, and we're going to talk about gear. We're going to see what Kel has and see if he can make it work again, because Nick is the man to be learning from, and I'm, I'm tickled to have him here. His call is Kilo Kilo 6 Lima Hotel Romeo. I want to know how a 6 call has a tower in his backyard, too. We'll find out that and more here on Ham Radio 360 coming up in just a moment. Elecraft.com is hands-on ham radio, and they're wanting you to get your hands on their gear. Every month, they're offering specials. This month, June specials, $75 discount on the KPA500 and the KAT500 power combo. How about $25 off a KX2, $25 off a KX3? There's all sorts of packages. You can find them online at Elecraft.com forward slash specials. Field day is upon us, and Elecraft gear is the stuff you want to take in the field with you. Hands-on Ham Radio, Elecraft.com. All right, we're back with Nick, KK6LHR. We're learning about ADSB, and before we get to the gear, I mentioned as we were going out to break that, that he has a he said he had a 30-foot tower in his yard in six land. I know there are a lot of guys listening because we have a load of six land listeners. Thank you all. Hey guys. And um, just, I'm curious, was it a big deal to get a tower in your yard? Uh, it was not, actually. So I, I live in a kind of a semi-rural area. There's not a lot of population density in this county. Okay. And there's there's like a, a little farm literally across the street from me. Um, yeah. Uh, really, all I had to do was, um, other than get the tower, which, another story for that in a minute, but uh, I had to... Go to the city, uh, file for a permit, and submit uh, some some designs uh, signed off on by an architectural engineer, basically saying, no, this won't fall over. <laughs> and given the amount of concrete that I had to pour for it, it is definitely not falling over. It's I think not I've going got anywhere. Four and a quarter cubic yards of concrete. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, that'll be a whole truck. We appreciate it. Come back to see us. That's not that stuff yeah. isn't cheap is at all. No, the concrete was not cheap. Yeah, you didn't make you didn't mix that by hand. We know that for sure. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I had somebody come with a pump and they they threw it in there for me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, uh, of course, it takes an antenna, so you've got your antenna thirty feet in the air. Now, let me ask you, what type of antenna do you use to feed your ADSB receivers? So I managed to get. Um, uh, one of the flight tracker services, FlightAware, they make some equipment. And for a small amount of time, they made a dual-band antenna. <laughs> Unfortunately, they do not make it anymore. Bummer. Um, but you can still get uh, both 1090 and 978 separate antennas if you if you like. Um, but this is a dual-band antenna, and I threw it up on the top of the tower. Um, I also put a low-noise amplifier up there uh, just to overcome... Uh, feed line loss because when you got 
you know, 50 feet of even LMR 400 at one gigahertz, it's not so good. Yeah. And then for completeness sake, I put a high pass filter on there that I designed uh, to keep it from getting saturated by any of my VHF and UHF gear, which is also up on the tower. Nice. You thought about it all. And you did this as you were installing the antenna on the tower. It wasn't an afterthought or anything. Nope. I, uh, yeah, I put the antenna up there along with this little box that has the, the uh, filter and LNA in it. And that feeds back down to my house. Can you help us understand what an LNA is in uh, uh, elementary terms? Uh, an LNA, a low noise amplifier, uh, is an amplifier that creates low noise. Um, it's made so that it doesn't introduce a lot of noise into a system when it is put in place. So it doesn't, uh, increase the noise floor by a significant margin. Um, but it does, uh, kind of boost up a, a wide swath of signal. Most of them are pretty wide band, uh, which is yet another reason I had to put the filter in front of this one. So it, uh, when you're doing stuff, especially that has, uh, uh, high frequency over a, a long feed line and you're receiving signals that can be fairly weak, like these aircraft that are you know, 200 plus miles away, mm-hmm. you want to get as much signal out of your system as you can. So an LNA up at the antenna, mind you, will definitely help with that. If you put an LNA down at the end of a really long feed line, it's not going to help quite as much because you've already lost most of the signal in the feed line. But if you get it up, up high, right up at the antenna, it can definitely help things out. You know, LNA is a term that um, I hear a lot personally as I hear guys talk about their SDRs, you know, their dongles, listening to whatever. And sometimes, you know, we forget that these three-letter acronyms uh, get lost on some people. They just, oh, they hear it, and people just automatically assume that they know what an LNA is. So it's an amplifier that helps you increase the receivability of the signals that you're getting from the top end and basically helps push it down the feed line into your receivers. Yep. That's the South Carolina explanation. I won't charge anybody for that one. But, uh, yeah, so tell us about the high-pass filter. You said you put a high-pass filter up there as well? Yep. Or a low-pass? Um, it was a, a high-pass. Okay. So it cuts off anything below about 850 megahertz. So I've got my uh, VHF and UHF antennas up on the tower, and they're, they're located about five feet below the ADSB antenna, but still close enough that, I didn't want to saturate the, the uh, LNA with yeah. anything when I transmit on those. So this was just something that I modeled in uh, the software package is called uh, Quux, the Quite Universal Circuit Simulator. And I just threw in some values and I said, okay, I want this to be my, you know, pass point, this to be my minus 3D point. And it gave me some capacitor and inductor values. And then I went shopping at DigiKey for stuff that was... <laughs> sort of close-ish to those values, yeah, and then actually used an SDR to test them, too. Now it sounds like we're in an episode of Workbench. That sounds like a great Workbench project, actually. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun to uh, to get that together and build. You you need to be on with George and Jeremy to talk about that one day. <laughs> we'll put that in be the show to. notes. Yeah, that'd be – I mean, honestly, that would be really cool to be able to build your own filters like that because, you know, like you're, you're talking about, you've got a definitive need – and then you just created the product to fit your needs specifically. That's what ham radio is. I love that, man. 
That's yep. awesome. Good stuff. Now that's at the top end. You got a dual band antenna, which we can't get anymore, but we, we know that like the ADSB people still make these really nice fiberglass antennas. Uh, airspy.us, I believe sells them as well. Matter of fact, when we were at Hamvention, I bought a airspy mini and I also bought their, uh, little magnet mount cut to ADSB 1090 to use just to have it because I didn't have mm-hmm. one. So I haven't played with that yet, but I'm getting close. So we need cool. a uh, we need a way a way to receive the signal. Now, how are we going to process it? What do we use? What type of computer processing do we need to make this happen? I recently upgraded to a uh, vastly overpowered computer for this. But previously, I was using a Raspberry Pi two, okay, um, and decoding both uh, ten ninety and nine seventy eight simultaneously. Um, I think only took about twenty five percent CPU total. So a Raspberry Pi 2 will do a dual-band receiver. Uh, I was worried about mine doing a single-band 1090, so realistically it could do a lot more than that, or some more than that if it needed to. Yep. Wow. Okay, so we we got a Raspberry Pi or an old laptop running Linux or Windows? Uh, There are a couple of applications for Windows. Um, I am not as familiar with them. Okay. Um, most of my SDR stuff I do on Linux. Well, we need to learn more so, about Linux anyway, so let's talk about that. All right. Okay. Um, there's. Do you want me to talk about the hard way or the easy way first? Uh, this is Kale's show. Let's talk about the easy way first. <laughs> okay. Uh, the easy way um, is you go to uh, adsbreceiver.net. Put that in the show notes, and you can go there and download an SD card image for your Raspberry Pi. And that comes with pretty much all the software you need to get a, get a system online. Um, you can do just 1090 or both 1090 and 978. It, if it sees two dongles, it'll say, oh, hey, I can do both. And then you just run a little setup script and, it, and tell it, this is my username on this site, this is my username on this site, and so forth. And it'll start feeding all the data out. It'll give you a little map display that you can see for your local traffic. And uh, that's pretty much all you got to do. Now, here's the problem that I ran into, Nick. Uh, I have no network to, to play with. I don't have the data to just burn sending the ADSD people something to look at. Uh, can that something, can this uh, ADSBreceiver.net, can it be used offline, meaning off of a network, not connected to the internet or is it internet dependent? Um, it is sort of internet dependent. Okay. So the internet dependent component, if you're just looking at things locally is it does need to go out to, uh, like Google maps or some other map service just to get the map rendered on your browser screen. Okay. I don't think there's a way to do offline maps with it. That's actually something I'm looking into for a different project for somebody. Uh, another episode of Workbench. Here we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool because I'll tell you about what I tried in the past later, but that was kind of the thing I kept running into was getting a map to stay current or keeping a map on the display because I didn't have an internet service to feed my Raspberry Pi. So mm-hmm. you said that was the easy way, and that was ADSBreceiver.net. We'll have that in the show notes, of course. And it sounded really simple. Even I could probably do it, but uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm not the Linux guy, but uh, you said there's a hard way. How hard yes. is the hard way? 
Uh, that depends how familiar you are with Linux. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, of course, the way I went. So what I did is I downloaded a number of software packages separately. Uh, there are two packages for uh, receiving and decoding the data. There's a program called Dump 1090 okay. and Dump 978. Those are the applications that actually connect to the, the RTL SDR or other SDR dongle and uh, convert the data from the dongle into just little packets of, of position information. Then I downloaded the clients for uh, FlightAware, FlightRadar24, and PlaneFinder. Modified the startup scripts for two of them because I didn't like it that they were running as root. I'm a uh, least privileges kind of guy when it comes to system administration, and root is the user that has access to absolutely everything. And I didn't really think they needed access to that, so I, I fixed it. I got you. Um, and then I, uh, I wrote up a couple of little scripts that feed data over to another site, which is ADSB Exchange, which actually I want to give a little quick call out for ADSB Exchange, sure. because as I mentioned earlier, uh, some of the other sites will take a bunch of money and then not show data. Yeah. Uh, ADSB Exchange does not. Really? Um, their, their whole thing is we are fully open. We show you feed us data, we show it. <laughs> so I think that's kind of cool. And now, is that one as easy to monitor, to look at, to watch these other ones you've mentioned? Um, as far as uh, loading up the web page? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. They're, uh, they're all pretty pretty easy to use. It's just a, uh, a map display that shows a bunch of little planes on it. You click on a plane, and it gives you the, uh, the data for it. So it'll show you, like, the, the aircraft registration, so you can look up, like, who owns it, some of them will show you actually recent pictures that were taken by people of that particular aircraft, which is kind of cool. Nice. Now, this is going to kind of go off on a little curve here, but can these sites, can they be viewed from our our computer in the Explorer to go just see what's going on around us, or do we have to be sending traffic uh, to see this? Is it is it like uh, the APRS map? We can go to APRS.fi, which is you know just a user interface. Are these the same way, in that same fashion? Yep. You can just go to the site and see what's going on on them. So um, if you want to see some of the, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, it's just some of the special features that they offer that require the uh, the premium subscription, which you that. will get along with feeding data. So if you want like the TMZ version of air traffic around you, the ADSB Exchange is the place to go. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, that and I just the other ones, clarify that. Yeah, the other ones will have most of. So the other ones have the advantage of being kind of more popular for people feeding data because right. not as many people know about ADSB Exchange for feeding data to them yet. Okay. So you'll get more coverage from the other sites, but they will filter some of that data out. Okay. So it's kind of a toss-up. Now, one of the things that, that I've always wondered about is if I'm going to be feeding data or not, do I have to have a GPS connected to my stuff to make it work properly? Nope, you do not. Okay. If you want to, you can put in your coordinates into your uh, receiver, and that helps when doing multilateration positioning of the mode S transponders. So jumping back a little, the mode S transponders are the ones that send out a little pulse of data on 1090 megahertz when they're interrogated by a secondary radar system. That transponder message, all it has is the... A squat code, an ID, and altitude. It doesn't have position. 
So what uh, these sites do with all of their receivers is when all of these receivers receive this mode S transponder beacon, they timestamp it, send that information up, and then the actual position of that beacon gets calculated based on the time difference of arrival on the various stations. Who, who thought of this? I mean, really? <laughs> Somebody smarter than Kill. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty sick. So I want to break here real quick, but I want to come back and keep talking about gear because I know people, we kind of went through it fast. I want to go back through it, Kell speed, and uh, we're going to keep talking to Nick. His call is KK6 Lima Hotel. Romeo, you're listening to Ham Radio 360, the podcast. MTC Radio is the place to go if you're an ICOM fan. I tell you, they sold nearly out of the ICOM 7300s at Hamvention. Hamcon just happened. It's crazy deals pricing. You may not find a better price on the IC7300 anywhere. But first, you have to do something. It's so simple. Pick up the telephone. Call Main Trading Company. Ask Richard. Hey, man, Kale said to call you. He said you'd have a deal on the IC7300. Let him give you the best price. Yeah, they've got prices listed on the internet. Everybody does. Call them. Compare prices. Do your shopping. Get your IC7300. It's the hottest thing going. Get it in time for field day. It's almost here. Order now. Get your thing. Have it ready to go for field day. The ICOM IC7300 from mtcradio.com. Let them know Kel sent you. mtcradio.com. We're back with Nick, and we're talking ADSB. Before we get away from the software discussion here, Nick, what is Stratix, and why is that important to us? So Stratix is pretty nifty, especially for any of you hams out there that might be pilots. Uh, Stratix is a software release um, kind of similar to the ADSB receiver uh, mentioned earlier. They've got a Raspberry Pi image. You just download, flash to an SD card, stick in your Pi, um, that one you do need a GPS for, but I'll tell you why. So you plug in a GPS, you plug in, uh, one or two receivers to get, uh, 1090, 978 or both. And then Stratix will aggregate that data together and then transmit it to, um, what's called electronic flight bag software. So if you've got an Android tablet or an iPad in the cockpit with you, that will show you all of your uh, FAA uh, sectional maps, which are the uh, aviation maps showing you know all the different um, uh, uh, air traffic control zones. Yeah, you mean like where uh, where the towers are and who's responsible for what airspace they're in and stuff like that. Exactly the different uh, the different airspace areas and so forth. <laughs> um, and that goes to your iPad or your Android tablet. Yep. Oh and goodness. so you'll have uh, some some electronic flight bag software that displays that, and then it'll connect to the uh, Raspberry Pi running Stratix, and that will then show your position on the map, as well as the positions of all the other aircraft around you. And um, I'm not sure if, if some of them have specific uh, anti-collision features, but I, I imagine if something's coming close, it'll probably pop something up and tell you. So that gives you just a little bit of extra information in the cockpit. That without is, having to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on some Garmin glass cockpit thing. That is really cool, man. So, I mean, not that this in, would do anyone any good here on the ground, but, I mean, it's a Raspberry Pi, a couple of dongles, maybe a little magnet antenna or something, you know, somewhere on the airplane potentially. And uh, you, you're basically having your own 
full-blown system right there on your tablet. Yep. Now, that is a uh, receive-only system. It doesn't beacon any information. But um, if you're flying around, you you probably already have either at least a uh, Mode S transponder, if not some sort of ADS-B out system. But but nonetheless, it's it's a very low-cost way to get a real-time view of what's going on around you. Exactly. That is a really – and it's called Stratix. Yep. All right, we'll have the links to that in the show notes. If any of you guys are out there using that, we'd love to hear from you and um, get some ideas of how it works in the cockpit. That is really, really stinking cool. Now, we love helping people spend their money here on this show. Uh, it's just fun to know that we have that much control over these people listening. <laughs> but uh, but we all have we all have old PCs laying around. We all have old towers that we used to use the computer, not to put your antennas on. Um, we have probably, I know that I have myself, maybe two, or th- well, I sent one to Kenneth, but I've got one or two Raspberry Pis lying around. So tell me, um, what if, I want, if I'm interested in this ADS-B thing, I've listened to the show, I want to buy some gear to get started in this. Uh, if I've got an old computer, put Linux on it, and then go down that direction. If I want to do the Raspberry Pi, I need to start at least with a Pi 2, Pi 3, something like that. Um, I don't know what the performance of the Pi 1 is like, but yeah, Pi 2 will do you just fine. Okay. Um, so a Pi 2 or a Pi 3, uh, and then uh, the little USB RTL SDR dongles. Um, there are just so many out there. Uh, there. There are a couple packages on Amazon that have you know two dongles and two antennas, and those will get you going right off the bat. Um, or if you have uh, a dongle already sitting around, just add an antenna and you're good to go. Um, if you have an antenna inside, uh, just sitting on your desk, you'll get a few. Um, add it to a good a ground plane, you'll get some more. Get it nice up high, you'll get even more. And if you go off and get one of the uh, nice outdoor uh, fiberglass or uh, PVC encased antennas, um, obviously that'll get you, uh, outside up high and get you even more signals with the best feed line that you can afford to put on there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I got you. Now, when, when I have mine set up, I have the little, uh, ADSB filter at the bottom end of my receiver plugging right into my, my dongle there. Is, is mm-hmm. that something that you, uh, that you encourage folks to pick up? I mean, it's another 20 or 25 bucks somewhere around in there at, most maybe less is that something that we we need to have uh it can help uh, especially for ams who tend to have other rf sources <laughs> in the area the rtl dongles uh they have awful front ends and just cannot pre-select anything worth a darn mm, okay. so uh that'll that'll definitely help you um i think if you're if you're keying up a lot Right. Now, and when you say they have awful front ends, I mean, you're talking about the $20 dongles or less that you get from China off of Amazon or eBay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not yeah. talking Air Spy Minis here or anything like that. We're talking about the ones that we bought three years ago when this this craziness started with these dongle things. Okay. Uh, but the low, no, the low noise filter or the, the frequency filter helps. Uh, good coax is going to help. I mean, guys, this is really not like going out and buying a, an IC7300 from ICOM. This is uh, less than 100 bucks, and you're, you're having fun kind of a thing? 
yeah. Yeah, you can definitely get there. Um, so there's, there's a like I said, a package on Amazon that's got two dongles, two antennas. It's just about 40 bucks. Um, you know, add uh, how much is a pie these days? What are they? 35, 35 30? bucks. Yeah, $35. Yep. And then uh, five or 10 bucks for an SD card. And, and you're good to go. Wow. This may be the cheapest thing we've done yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's say we don't want to use a pie. Let's say we've got an old laptop that we, that'll the battery's gone. So we just leave it plugged in. Uh, there are options to use windows software that maybe you're not completely familiar with, but they're out there nonetheless. And, and that's a pretty reasonable <laughs> option as well. Yep. Um, there's a package called, uh, I believe it's plane plotter. Um, and also virtual radar server. I think virtual radar server just does display plane plotter. Uh, I think that one's like 25 or 35 bucks. Um, but that's what you would use to then, uh, connect to your dongle and then feed data out to other sites. I think it has a map as well. Okay. And that's one of the things that you really need to think about here. If this is something that you're interested in, a lot of the software can be had for free if you're willing to give them back what you're seeing. It's just where, where I'm at in the position with the internet connection here, that's not really something that I want to burn my bandwidth doing. Uh, so yeah. I have to go around, uh, you know, sideways there, but it's really not a big deal. Uh, like I said, Gerald helped me get, uh, get up and running with the dump 1090. I was watching airplanes and I don't know what it was about it. You know, I mean, back when I was a kid, I, I watched iron Eagle and wanted to be in the air force. And so I've always loved aviation uh, a friend of mine, Chris, his dad used to have an airplane, his little Navion. We went up a couple of times. It a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not a pilot. I, I took one flying lesson and decided that I just I'd rather have my Harley and bought that instead. But um, <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any of those left anymore. But <laughs> anyway, th- there's just something really cool. It's kind of like kind of like APRS. You know, seeing things moving, and you know that you're that you're getting it not from the internet. Like maybe that's what maybe that's the draw for me is that I'm getting this live this real thing happening that's not necessarily for what I'm seeing with my receivers. It's not using the internet. I'm actually seeing it in real time over RF. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to it. And you know, you guys listen, you may like that as well. I don't know, but uh, to me, it was pretty cool to sit here and watch the planes fly over the house. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah. I like it for that aspect too. I know I get to look and see, okay, this is the stuff that's going on right around me. And that's, that's just really neat to see. Yeah. I mean, we're stuck down here, you know, the laws of gravity and they're up there using the law of lift and uh, <laughs> it's a whole different world, right? So is this something that you, uh, I mean, you've kind of maxed out, I guess. I mean, you have this, this great working knowledge. You've got all this stuff in your house, uh, monitoring and, and sending in information. Is, is there room for growth in this, in the amateur radio hobby and the amateur listening hobby? Or, or is this is kind of topping out? This is about all it's going to be able to do. How do you feel about satellite dishes? Uh, well, I've got thirty-five acres, so I don't have any problem with satellite dishes. <laughs> nice, because uh, there are some birds up there. Uh, some of the Inmarsat satellites um, they receive some uplink data from aircraft. It's called the J Arrow or the Arrow product or J Arrow product. Uh-huh. Um, if you remember. Uh, Malaysian Air Flight 380, the, the Malaysian Air Flight that went yes. missing. Yes, And they I were did. talking about the, the Inmarsat pings. So that was, that plane had 
the uh, Inmarsat uplink equipment. They didn't have a subscription, so they weren't sending data, but it was sending kind of like check-in pings saying, hey, this is sort of like a cell phone will check in with a tower right. regardless of whether or not it's transmitting data. And that's what they were they were looking at, like Doppler shift and so forth on that. Oh, okay. But what, what you'd be able to receive is the actual uplink traffic from aircraft that are sending data up to that. I haven't looked in detail at it. I don't know if there's position data in it. I know that there's stuff like maybe some uh, flight stats or like engine statistics, diagnostic information. Oh, dude, that so, would be cool. If you, could, if you knew what it was saying, it would be really cool to see that. Yep. So, so that's also up there. Okay, so is that like uh, an 18-inch dish? Is it more like a 30-inch dish? What do they call that, a meter, meter and a half dish? What are we talking about? Uh, I think you can do it with an 18-inch dish and a uh, helical feed. Okay. I haven't done anything with that quite yet. I did pick up a, uh, a little circular polarized patch antenna from the uh, outer net project, which is... Yep, yep, got one uh, of them. <laughs> so uh, that that operates on the same... The outer net operates on the same uh, frequency bands, I think from one of the same satellites that some of the NMARSAT traffic is on. Okay. So if you got that pointed in the right direction, you can just tune around and possibly pick up some of that stuff too. Well, I'll have to go to the Satellite Guys forum and ask some questions. That was a place that got me started with my uh, free-to-air satellite service. And uh, it's uh, the pl- yes. it's the place to go if you have if you have FTA questions, satellite guys, and I'll link it in the show notes. Some just awesome people over there. I was actually on their podcast one time. Uh, they had they they were doing a podcast. I think they paused it for a little while, but just a really great community. And boy, did we get off down a rabbit hole. But I I didn't realize that <laughs> that that was out there as well. And and the outernet's been pretty cool. I've set it up a couple of times and and watched or listened, whatever the term you use there is, but. Really cool stuff. We could do a show on that one day, I guess. But, uh, man, thank you. I, yep. I, I didn't realize that uh, there was so much out there, and, and especially the dual band thing. Now, that's really got me interested. So now I need another dongle and another antenna, but that's okay because that's what we do is buy stuff and, and put it to use. Well, or in my case, buy stuff and, and it ends up stacking up on a desk somewhere. Well, see, I was but, hoping yes. my wife wasn't listening to, to you say that. <laughs> she, <laughs> she thinks I use all this stuff the brown truck delivers, and I've got a beautiful stack here in the shack for it. I, I counted up all of the little Linux single board computers that I've accumulated, and it's, uh, man, I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We all do. And that, that's really that's the cool thing about this hobby is that uh, we we do have problems about things we really love, and it could be, you know, top of the line HF rigs. It could be these Balfang handy talkies. It, it might be old Collins gear, you know. But the thing about it is, is that we can find a use for every bit of it. And this ADSB really opens up some opportunities. If if you've ever been interested in aviation, if you wonder what's going on in the friendly skies above you, ADSB is a great way to find that out. It's really cool. I mean, it's like APRS for airplanes. He said it at the beginning. We'll mention it again. You can follow them. You can track them. It's really neat. And I want to encourage you guys to uh, check that out. If you have any questions, you can come back in here and let us know. Uh, Nick, if we want to follow you on, I, I'm pretty sure you're real. You're you're involved on uh, Twitter. I don't know if I've seen you on Facebook, but I know that you like Twitter. How can we find you on Twitter? Yep. So Twitter uh, at exploding lemur, all one word. And we'll um, like that, by the way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, go ahead and follow me. I'm t- I'll talk ham radio, infosec, electronics, and you know. 
foul, terrible jokes. So <laughs> He's a ham. Fits right in. Okay. Well, Nick, we really appreciate you have, having come on here with us and uh, teaching me and us about ADSB. Guys, if you have questions, like I said, you can put them in to the comments of the show, as well as if you're a Twitter guy or gal, you can catch up with Nick at Exploding Lemur on Twitter. We'll have the links for that, as well as everything we've talked about in this program. Nick has just a beautiful list of links that we're going to share with you. I want to see you guys get involved with this. It's a lot of fun. I've done it before. So if I've done it, that means of course you can Nick, before we go, any, uh, any parting shots for anyone listening here, get your stuff plugged in, listen to what's out there. And, uh, yeah, remember aircraft isn't the only thing out there too. There's lots of other cool stuff to, to start monitoring and, uh, see what's going on in the world around you. And that could lead us into another show. We may need to address that here off the air, Nick. Thank you very much for coming by. <laughs> Been nice chatting with us. Call, ladies and gentlemen, KK6 yep. Lima Hotel Romeo. Nick, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon, I'm sure. Yep, thank you. Again, a big thank you, Nick. Appreciate you being on here with us and helping me further understand ADSB. I've gotten it working, man. It's working really good with the Air Spy Mini. I'm using it. I had it out the other night on the uh, the car again, and it's just amazing how much you can pick up out there with just this really cool little antenna. Speaking of the antenna, I got that one from airspy.us when we were up at Hamvention, so check those out. We'll also have links to gear and things we've talked about, software and whatnot, in our show notes. I want to refer you there every time, guys, because there's a lot of information and if you're just listening to the program, you may be missing out on the hamradio360.com pile of stuff that we put into our links there every time we do a show, hamradio360.com. Now, I've got to stop here for just a second and say I've been really, really floored by the amount of support that has come in since Hamvention. I don't know what has happened, but thank you very much. I know a lot of you don't want to be named, so I'm not going to. But uh, we've got some patrons on our Patreon page now. There's a link to that. It's the orange circle P. This is thank you for our support in the sidebar as well as the support tab. Uh, I've got folks coming in wanting to be a part of making this happen with the Podcaster Pro from Adam Curry. So thank you again for all of your support there. It's it's so humbling to know that you uh, know that we have show sponsors. But in addition to that, you want to make sure that these things are taken care of. I can't say thank you enough. I'm not going to name you because I know, like I said, some of you don't want to be named, but thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you're interested in that, just click on the support tab there, hamradio360.com. Really appreciate you listening, telling your buddies about it. You know, it was so cool to see, hey, my friend told me this. My friend told me about your show there and getting to know you guys at Hamvention. So if you've got a friend who's in the ham, maybe they haven't gotten in the ham, but you want to kind of push them that way, send them over here, man. We'd love to have some time with them and, and be able to share with what we've got going on. Again, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate everybody. I hope you have a great week coming up. Field day's right around the corner. Get your stuff together. It's going to be a good time. Maybe I'll catch you on the air. We'll see you next time. Again, thank you for listening. We appreciate you. God bless you. It's 73, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Ham Radio 360 podcast, brought to you by Maine Trading Company, Paris, Texas, and by Elecraft.com, hands-on ham radio. To learn more about the show, visit our website, hamradio360.com. 73s, y'all. your host.
So thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Right now we have a little bit of bonus content to share with you. Actually, it's more like housekeeping boring stuff. Antenna analyzer boards. We have less than 100 left. When those are gone, we are going to pause the sale on the antenna analyzer boards to see what Barrick determines to do with his next project if he updates it with different diodes or whatnot. Uh, So we're going to sell these out and then they're going to be gone for a while uh number that's number one number two is no more international sales i'm sorry i'm really sorry but the post office can't decide what they're going to charge me from time to time that i go in there and it's it's just too much headache uh, it may be nine dollars to ship it to canada one day i go back the very next day the same person working the working the booth there and it's two dollars and seventy cents so it's just a whole lot of back and forth playing ping pong with these people they can't get it determined what's what and what the value just trust me thank you for those of you who have purchased those from us we appreciate that uh but at this time no more international orders we have less than 100 in stock when those are gone uh that project will be paused until they determine if barrick will do a redesign or they'll just re-release say a version one point whatever uh to get those back in your hands again the boards from hamvention are not for sale in the store Jeremy and George are working for a workbench resolution for that, and they'll probably have an announcement in a couple of weeks. But uh, that'll be moved towards the workbench end of things and not the 360 end of things, whatever they determine to do with those boards. Uh, It's not that they don't want to sell them to you guys. They're just trying to work out the best way to make that happen. Uh, Kel is a homeschool dad that podcast, and uh, he's not a a guy in the board business. So uh, appreciate all that you've done so far. The support that you've given to that project has been pretty phenomenal. Actually, it's been stupid if you break it down and, and really think about how many of those things are out there floating around. So really cool. I've still got mine. Have it built it. I think I've got all the parts, but uh, a lot of folks are still building them, still buying them. And again, if you want one or know someone that will want one, you need to get them ordered now. Shipping's only going to happen on Fridays from now on. I'm not going to be shipping every day of the week uh, until they're gone. So get your orders in. We'll get them out of the way. We'll get them shipped to you. And you guys can begin the building process. That was uh, that. was that. Next thing again, I want to come back again and say thank you to the patrons as well as our PayPal sponsors that come in and, and share uh, believing in what Kel's doing here on 360. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's quite humbling. I know I say that and it, it may come off like I was just saying it again. No, really. It, it's like sit you on the floor kind of wonder how you got here kind of humbling. So thank you all for your support and for listening. You've been really cool even to stick around this far. So that's really all I've got to say. The antennalizer boards are getting really close to being out of stock and going away for a while. I get those no international shipping and uh, we've got less than a hundred. So get your orders in uh, the workbench board stuff. George and Jeremy will be addressing that in the next couple of shows as they figure out what they want to do there. And thank you for those who give here to the 360 show. I guess that's all I've got to say. Oh, uh, field day. I didn't talk at all about field day in this program. You're probably wondering why. Well, uh, we had some really cool big plans to have a field day like we did winter field day. Uh, but two of my buddies, uh, their wives had just had babies. Congratulations to both of them. Uh, they're first time dads, so they're not getting out of the house. I've got two friends. Uh, they're going to be out of town who also participated in winter field day. One's going to his wife's high school reunion and the other is doing some vacation time. So that leaves myself and Chris. I don't know that we're not going to do anything field day related. I do know that if we do any, if we do get together, which I'm hoping we can, we're probably going to play with some Arden and some packet stuff. Now I know that's not fun field day related kicks two in the woods kind of thing. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just not going to probably do that this year. 
it's not that I don't like you guys that do. It's just I got some other things I need to do, and if I get to do anything, it's going to work on be working on something that I need to get working uh, before November for this big drill we're having here locally for our Aries group. So you probably won't hear me on field day, but I hope you guys all have a great time. I know it's a good time to get a new ham involved. If you are a new ham, you've stuck around this long in the thing, really cool thumbs up, and uh, go find your local club, go participate, and go see what you can learn about amateur radio with your hands on the gear. I really do appreciate every one of you. I, I've gone on and on here about I'm going to say it again. God bless you. Thank you so much. 73, y'all.